0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. So good. Hey, I, I, I really love, I don't know about you, uh, but, but in the recent kind of uh, last couple of weeks, that the, I guess the privilege it is to gather together has kind of just been front of mind for me afresh, Yeah. As, as it's kind of not been like a foregone conclusion that, that church can definitely happen every Sunday. And as we've been uh, navigating some, some uncertainty, the fact that we get together together, I think is, is really cool and is, is something that, that I really cherish. And so I wanna thank you for, for being here today. I think it's awesome. And I wanna also say uh, to, to those who can't be here today, maybe you're, you're joining us on, on YouTube or we're hearing this after the fact on, on SoundCloud or something like that. It's so great to have you with us too. But I wanted to say, uh, while you're in the room, there, there might be might be days uh, in, in the coming kind of weeks in which we're not able to meet together. Uh, and so I just wanted to encourage you, make sure that you're uh, connected with us on, on comms, make sure that you've, you've liked our page on, on Facebook and you're part of the, the group there, that you've got the app, that you're getting the emails, because we don't want you to miss out uh, because you didn't hear about what's happening. And, and so just in case you've got all those things, uh, and yet it would still be nice to have a, a verbal reminder. Uh, if we're not able to meet together, we do still every Sunday, uh, rain or shine, have uh, equipers online, and that is now meeting at 9 a.m., 10.30, and 5 p.m., and then there's uh, uh, records of, of all of those in between. If, if one of those times doesn't work, the, the last video that went live will be up there. Uh, and, and as of last week, we've also started posting uh, a playlist of these services that we've recorded uh, on, on our YouTube channel. So that's not available as we do it, uh, but we edit it afterwards and, and chuck it up. So if you can't make it to church, join us online uh, and then catch up on what we've been talking about uh, after the fact. Is that good? That's good, yeah, because the church, how we meet, might change a little bit, but we are still the church, we are still meeting. Uh, it might take a little bit more of a, a you know, an intentional plug-in rather than just showing up into the room, or it might take a bit of both, but we're going to continue to be the church in this season, uh, and we love that, that you can do that, we love that, that we can do that together, and we, we're encouraged in the midst of that just about how important it is to be the church, yeah? It's good. Hey, other thing, uh, who got one of these journals? A Go Big journal. Hopefully, you've all got one. If you haven't, uh, make sure you get one after uh, the, the service on your way out because we are going big in, in 2022. Uh, which, which, you know, we'll talk more about that kind of as that's the series, right? So, we'll be talking about that for a, for a little bit to come. Uh, but really, we're going big in part because we've seen God move powerfully already. We've seen God move powerfully in, in 2021. We've seen God move powerfully in the last couple of months even. And so we're really trying to position ourselves in such a way to say, God, we know that you're a big God. We know that you want to do amazing things. And so we want to create space to, to be ready for that. God, we know that you can do more than we can ask, think, or imagine, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to ask, think, or imagine. Yeah? Yeah that we wanna create space for God and we believe that as we create space for God, God's gonna fill it. In the midst of uncertainty and things changing, the one thing that stays the same is God and so we wanna direct our attention uh, towards Him. Is that all right? That's good. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you turn with me to kind of our our banner scripture for this Go Big series. Uh, It's found in Isaiah chapter 54 and it says this. Sing, O childless woman, You who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. Says the Lord, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy the other nations and resettle the ruined cities." Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. Why don't you bow your heads with me and I and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these moments as we gather together. We thank you even for the, the privilege that it is, the, the, the incredible moment of being able to gather together. And God, as we're here in this room, as we're here in rooms, even around this city, as, as we intentionally as a people focus in on what you're doing, God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts that today wouldn't be my ideas or, or my words, but, but that your word would go out, and we know that your word does not return void. God, we pray whatever situation or circumstance might have joined us in the room today, however we might have come in, God, we pray that we would leave different, having met with you, that ultimately, if nothing else, you would get bigger, and everything else would get smaller in comparison. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. 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 So today, I, I simply want to start this Go Big Series, but by asking a question—a question. A question you know, I should tell you the question, right? Like, what's the question? Well, the question is, how big is your God? In fact, maybe maybe turn to your neighbor and, and you can ask them that in like a in a nice way, not an aggressive way, but just a hey, I'm wondering, how big? How big is your God? How big is God, right? In the in the words of Homer Simpson, is God so big that he could microwave a burrito so hot that he himself could not eat it, right? It's one of those big questions uh, in, in life. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know, like pretty big? Like big enough? I guess he's, you know, he's big. Like who who grew up singing those songs in kids' church? Like our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's, oh, it's beautiful, right? It just, it takes you right back. You're like, yeah, yeah. Right, and we, we sung these songs and we've got these truths, but but what does that actually mean? And, and why is it important how we think about God? Why is it important if we understand God to be big or not? Well, I, I love how Isaiah chapter 54 starts. It says, to the barren, to the childless woman, sing, which is interesting. It's more interesting when you realize kind of the moment in time in which this is written, right? This is written to, to a nation of, of, of the people of Israel in a time in which expanding your family, having as many children as possible was kind of the, the highest dream in society. The, the families wanted to have as many children as they could so that they could be bigger families to have more influence in their society. And then the society wanted all of the families to be as big as they could be to have a bigger nation, to have more of an influence on the global stage, right? People were how you had power. And so having as many people in your family as possible was the big dream of everyone in the society. And so in the middle of that moment, to the woman in this society who isn't able to access that dream, the woman who isn't able to have children in this society, this, this woman who would be hopeless in this situation, the example is, is given of this woman to, to sing. Right? And, and not just to sing, but to sing loudly, to, to sing joyfully. which It's a bit of a strange instruction, isn't it? This woman who kind of put yourself in, in her shoes, she's not able to access the thing that everyone says will give you satisfaction, that everyone says will, will give you purpose, that everyone says will give you meaning. She's, she's being put forward as the, the archetype of, of hopelessness. The author is trying to say to you, think of the most hopeless, the most kind of down in the dump sort of person you can imagine to that person, I say sing. I don't know about you, when, when I feel kind of a little bit, when I feel glum. When I feel down in the dumps, when I feel hopeless, the first thing that I want to do is not sing, right? And if it is, it's not to sing joyfully. It's not to sing loudly and happily. I want to sing me some blues, right? Like I want to, I want to put on some B.B. King, and I want to just kind of wallow and, and imagine that, that, that that's me singing and that I feel that bad. Yeah, to kind of just, there's nothing quite like it, yeah? When you're feeling sad, playing sad music, it just does something, right? Like we like to wallow, and am I alone in that? Anyone else kind of, you know, it's a little bit sadistic, but it also feels kind of good. Well, I don't feel like singing joyfully in the midst of my hardship. I don't feel like singing joyfully when, when, when things aren't going well. And I want to say there's, there's a time for, for lament. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for, for bringing our worries and our hurts and our grievances to God. But God is also the same God who gives us beauty for ashes, right, who doesn't necessarily leave us in that moment of lament. Lamentations is our part of the Bible, but it is not the whole thing. We don't stay there, right? Jeremiah is the weeping prophet who says Babylon is going to come and take over the nation. Lamentations is Jeremiah saying, man, this sucks. Babylon has come and taken over this nation. And then Deuteronomy Isaiah, this passage that we read, is, is the people of Israel being called out of their out of their despondency saying, hey, you've been in exile. Babylon came and destroyed us, but there is still hope. To the barren woman, to the hopeless woman, sing and sing loudly and sing joyfully. See, God doesn't leave us stewing in our stuff forever. Sometimes he brings us these strange instructions, these counterintuitive commands, like to the barren, to the hopeless, sing loudly and joyfully. See, I, I think it could be tempting in 2022 for us to not go big. Do you know what I mean? For, for us to want to think, man, 2022 is a year to just, let's just play it safe. Let's just keep it nice and small and tidy and in control. Let's not get our hopes up. Let's not go for anything big. Let's just put our heads down and survive the year. And then if things get a bit more normal, maybe 2023, we can start to go big. Maybe 2023, we can start to dream. But but we're just surviving in the season. But I believe that God would say to us, now is not the time just to survive. Now is not the time just to get through this moment. But God wants to do something in this moment, right? I wanna be clear, we're about being safe. Yeah, we're gonna to meet together as long as we can, but, but if it gets unsafe to meet together, the church is not just a gathering. We'll continue to be the church however we can and however we need to. We're going big and, and big might be, you know, God willing in the size of our gatherings, but if we need to keep it small and safe and, and do it in a different way, well just because we can't go big in the number of people in the room does not mean that we go small in our hearts does not mean that we rein in what God is wanting to do in us. We might be locked down physically, but we can choose if we're locked down internally. We can choose what happens in our, in our hearts. See, I think it's understandable in the midst of everything that's going on to, to kind of say at the moment, like, oh, it's just, I feel a little bit anxious with red and Omicron and, and protests and, and everything else. But the very best thing that we can do in the middle of anxiety is to worship God. See, we're intentionally in the series, we're going against maybe the predominant mood of the moment to say we're going big, however the year might look practically. We're going big in our expectations of God. We're going big in our faith in God. We're going big in our, our worship of God. What big might look like might change, but the heart expression stays the same. We're creating space for God to move. Right? And one of the ways that we can do this in the barrenness and uncertainty in all situations is we can choose to sing. We can choose to sing loudly, and we can choose to sing joyfully. In fact, if you're taking notes, my first point is to remind ourselves of who God is. We need to sing because first of all, we need, you and I, we need the perspective. In the midst of of uncertainty and fear, worship puts everything in perspective. When we're uncertain of the what, focusing on who is essential. Yeah, we might not know what is gonna happen this year. We might be flexible and changing plans as we go, but, but the what might change, but the who stays the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is consistent, and so let's turn our attention to Him. If we don't fix our eyes on God, if we don't turn our attention towards Jesus, our attention will be taken by our circumstances, by our situations, and most often what that means is by our fears and our problems. It's simply not enough to say, oh, just don't think about the worries, don't, don't mull over on the, on the problems, don't sing the blues, because whatever we try and not do, our human brain cannot focus on a negative, If you try and avoid a fear, you'll end up circling around the fear. Let me put it this way, right? A quick thought experiment for you. Don't think about an elephant. Right? Some of you are like, I didn't think about an elephant. You might have just for a split second. The only way you didn't think about an elephant is if you were already thinking about nothing. In which case, I don't know if that's anything to brag about, right? Like, maybe just keep that to yourself. I'm never thinking about anything, Jono, so that was easy for me. Right? The human brain cannot focus on a negative. You can't actually entertain a negative. That's not how our brains work. An example of this is, is who's been watching the Winter Olympics at all? Anyone been been up on the Winter Olympics? And you're like, no, that, that's dumb. Well, that's fine. That's up to you, right? But one of the things that I like in the Winter Olympics is the downhill skiing. Has anyone seen this? Downhill skiing, for those who haven't seen it, is basically it's just a controlled fall down a mountain that they decided to call a sport. Like really, if it was happening to anyone else and if you didn't get a medal at the end, it would be called an accident or a disaster. It, the, the like fail compilation videos and downhill gold medal races are almost indistinguishable. It's just at the end of one, someone crashes and goes away in an ambulance and at the end of the other, they get given a gold medal. Other people still crash, right? They just don't get the medals. But, but it's amazing in these downhill ski races that the number one thing that the downhill skiers are told to do is to not focus on the poles, the whole thing is kind of weaving in and out of these really tight poles as they go down the mountain to, to kind of get to the bottom in the record time. And the way that they do this is they don't focus on the poles. And, and actually this is a, a, a tactic that, that all skiers, anyone really on a mountain, even you know we've been teaching my son Ollie to ride a bike, it's, we've been teaching him this as he's been st- starting to ride his bike, is don't focus on the obstacles. As you're going down a mountain, as you're learning to ski, your number one thought is don't hit the trees. Yeah, like, I do not want to smash into the tree. Don't hit the tree. But if you put your attention on the trees, what's going to happen? Number one thing, you're going to hit the trees. You're going to be like, don't focus. Don't hit the trees. Don't hit the trees. Don't hit the trees. You're going to be looking at the trees, and you're going to go where you're looking, and you're going to hit the trees. And so they tell every skier, don't focus on the trees. Don't focus on the obstacles. Instead, look for the path. Look for the way, look for the possibility, look for the opening. Don't follow on the things in your way. Look for the opportunity to move through them. See, I believe in this current kind of moment and time, there are a lot of trees that can take our attention. There are a lot of obstacles. There are a lot of worries. There are a lot of fears. There are a lot of what ifs and how wills, and, and we can focus on them, but if we do, more likely than not, we're gonna crash into them. And I'm not saying the other thing to do is not just to simply start at the top of the mountain, close your eyes and hope for the best, yeah? That's not the tactic that we're taking in life. We're not ignoring that there are some very big questions going on at the moment and and things that we need to navigate through, but they are aspects of our life. They are not the focus of our life. Yeah, we're not starting at the top of the mountain, closing our eyes and hoping for the best, but we're also not focusing on the trees and so inadvertently crashing into them. We're looking for the path. We're saying, God, where are you in this situation? See, this is what Isaiah is saying, and the the author of Isaiah is saying, and when he says, sing, O barren woman. See, what else can this woman do? She can focus on her situation, or she can focus on her hope. She can focus on her God. It's the best thing to sing in a hopeless place, to sing in anxiety, to worship, to magnify God, not the trees. The very best thing that we can do in the midst of anxiety is to worship God, because we need the perspective. And, and number two, if you're taking notes, because how we perceive God determines what we can receive from God. Right? I hope you realize God doesn't change based on what we think of Him, right? God doesn't mind if we're singing, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, or not, right? He's not waiting for us to sing that, like, oh, oh, uh, right? Like, I was worried. Jonah didn't tell me that I was big today. Jonah didn't tell me that I was worthy of praise today, and I was just God's up there just having a bit of an identity crisis and then we tell him and he's like, okay, I'm good. Right, that's not how it works. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God does not need reminding that he is big. He's big whether we realize it or not, but what we think about God determines how we approach God. Right, it doesn't change God, but it does change us. And it's not just about our kind of intellectual thinking, it's about how we actually behave, not just what we say we think about God, but what our actions really reveal that we think about God. In in, in John chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus has just performed a miracle. He's just fed the 5,000, and it's kind of, it's a big deal. We talked about it maybe like a month ago, why it's a big deal, and and we don't have time to get into it now, but suffice to say, every single one of the disciples want this miraculous power. They want the ability to do miracles. I mean, fair enough, right? Like, none of us are like, silly disciples. Who wants to do, like, if, if God said to me tonight, hey, Jono, tomorrow you can multiply bread. I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Like, I want some miracle powers. That would be amazing, yeah? I, sometimes I do it when we're saying grace. I'm like, and didn't work. But I'm, I've got faith, right? I'm just keeping on coming. Keep on knocking, and one day maybe the door will be open. We'll see what happens. It's not necessarily true. I don't pray that my food would multiply. But it's a good principle. Right? And, and so the disciples come, and they say, God, you know, Jesus, we want to be able to do what you do. We want to be able to do the, the works of God like you do. And so how do we get in? How do we get this miraculous power that you have? And Jesus replies to them, believe in the one who God sent. Believe in what God is doing through me. Which is, it's kind of interesting, right? Because they're saying we want to receive and Jesus is saying, well, to receive, you need to, to believe. But, but when Jesus says believe, he's not talking about like a simple uh, Tinkerbell fairy dust sort of belief. It's not, I do believe in fairies. It goes deeper than that. The Greek word used here is the word pastuo, which is an active, walked-in belief. It's not a passive kind of intellectual conclusion. It goes beyond that. The, the best analogy that I can think to use is it's the belief that a skydiver has in their parachute. Yeah, the belief that a skydiver has in their parachute changes the way that they live. The skydiver does not just think that it's there. They don't just assume that it's there. They know that it's there. They trust that it's there. And not just that it's there, not just that it's on their back, but that it will fulfill its purpose and keep them safe. Right, they trust it. And because they trust in their parachute, they are able to do things that to other people are impossible. While other people who do not have a parachute and who do not trust in the parachute cannot jump out of an airplane and float safely to the ground. But in the same way, a skydiver in an airplane who do, does not trust in their parachute cannot get out of the airplane and float safely to the ground. They can have everything that they need, but if they do not have that trust, they're going to stay in the plane. And so it's the combination of what we need and trusting in what we have, not just having Jesus, but having a pastuo belief, a trust in Jesus that changes the way that we live. Right? Jesus is saying it's a similar application here, to receive the works that God wants to do through you. He says this to the disciples, but it also applies to us. We need to believe in, to trust in, to pastuo in Jesus, Tyler Stanton puts it this way, kind of in the, in the inverse, which might be more accessible for some of us. He says, the biggest barrier a modern believer faces is that we struggle to believe in a God as powerful, knowing, and loving as the one Jesus introduces us to. Right, we might get it, we might be able to, yeah, yeah, no, I believe in Jesus up here. Right, like I, I've prayed the prayer and I come to church and I say I believe in Jesus, but, but if someone else was to look at your life, to look at the way in which you behave, to look at the way in which you act, would they say from the outside looking in, this is someone who pursuer, who trusts in, who believes in Jesus. We might say we believe in Jesus, but do our actions reflect that belief? And if they don't, is it, is it simply an intellectual? Yeah, you no, know, it all adds up and it makes sense, but, but we're the skydiver staying in the plane, not jumping out, not putting our faith into action, not actually believing in the thing that we have. Right, what does that belief look like? I, I, I guess I would say it this way. How do you see God? Right, how, do you, how do you perceive Him? Not, not just in, in what you think, but in your lived experience. What does that reflect about what you truly believe? Right, is, is God to you a, a distant God of rules and regulations, unkind and angry? Is God to you maybe a genie to be kept on the shelf and, and taken out when we need something convenient and controlled, or, or, or is God a loving Father and mighty Lord? Powerful and awe-inspiring, yet close and intimate. Who is God to you, and would other people observing your life say the same thing as what you hope they would say? You know, I'm, I'm almost done, and so I'll just get the, I'll get the band to come up, and, and we'll be finishing in a moment. But what do we do with this, right? If if we're here today and we're saying, look, I can identify with the need to fix my eyes on God, not the trees. I recognize that that I need to worship God because my perspective matters for me, that that it's for me that I need to fix my my eyes on God. And, And if we realize, look, I need to move from an intellectual acceptance of God to a trusted, lived out belief, how do we do that? How do we do those two things? How do we move from, from a place of an intellectual trust in God and, but really our eyes are on the trees to a, to a lived and pursuant belief in God and our eyes on the path? You might have picked up really today as we start this series on, on going big, as we talk about how big God is, really we're talking about Worship talking about what do we worship in our life? What is our attention and our affection directed towards? Because when we talk about God being a big God, we have to talk about what we worship. When we we lift up God as as He is, when we come to Him, the Bible says that we'll find Him. And so my third point is simply bring God your worship. You know, worship isn't just the, the slow songs at church. It's a moment of worship. A moment of corporate worship and it's special and a, it's amazing, but that's not the only time that we worship in our, in our weeks, in our lives. In fact, I would say everybody worships pretty much all the time. Whether you're in this room or not, we are all worshiping something. Yeah. Worship is when we bring value to. Worship is when we, we trust in something. Even those that we know that, that do not yet have a faith, they, they worship. We worship in something. Some of us worship our our work. Some of us worship our comfort, our possessions, our hobbies, our families. We all worship something. The question is, is what we are trusting to be God? And that's ultimately what we do when we worship. Really able to be God. An example is, is in Exodus. Exodus is the account of the people of Israel being liberated from slavery in Egypt. But N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says there are two journeys of liberation in Egypt. The first is to get Israel out of slavery and the second is to get slavery out of Israel. Right, the first part of the story of Exodus is the action montage. It's the bits that we love. It's it's the plagues and it's the splitting of the Red Sea and and, and it's it's the pillar of fire. It's It's the amazing moment. It's the Prince of Egypt. It makes a great movie, right? And they were brilliant singers. But the second bit's a little bit And then moves into the law, which feels kind of anticlimactic. Like, yeah, God, you freed them from slavery, and now you give them a whole bunch of rules and regulations, which feel like, I'm not saying it's slavery, but it's like, come on. I thought they were getting freed, and now you give them a whole bunch of things to do. But it's in these things, in these moments, that, that now they are free from slavery. These rules, this law is to get the slavery out of them. God gives them commands to help them form freedom, not just externally. But in turn, Exodus chapter 20, verses one to four, we see the first two commandments. You probably know them well. The first is, do not put any other gods before me. I love that God starts with the assumption that there will be other things that compete for our worship. There will be other things which we are tempted to trust as God. Tim Keller simply calls them small gods with a little g. Things in our life that can be good or bad, but that we ask to be the ultimate thing that ultimately will disappoint us that even if it's a good thing, it will not be able to bear the weight of Godhood and we will destroy something good by asking it to be more than it can be by putting it in a place that only God can occupy. And then the second command is don't make for yourself an image of God. Bible says idols, but but it doesn't just mean like idols in terms of other gods. It means don't try to reduce God down to what you can imagine Him to be. Don't remake God in your image, but understand that God is bigger than us we can be tempted to try and contain God into our understanding, into our our preferences, into our ideas. So many of us can, can accidentally stumble into having a God who just seems to agree with everything that we think, who doesn't like the people that we don't like, who does like the people that we do like, who shares all of our opinions and values and never seems to challenge us whatsoever. It's very convenient. Could it be that that smaller God is a reduction of God, that that if God doesn't make us a little bit uncomfortable, if God doesn't challenge us, that maybe we're not following God, maybe we're following our own preferences and desires. That somewhere along the way, we swapped out the one true God for our image of Him, which is a little bit more convenient, a little bit more comfortable. See, what are these commands about? They're about worship. How do we worship God, worshiping God above the other good things in life and worshiping God as He is, not as we might want Him to be, not making God into our image when we are made in His. See, I started today with the the simple question, how big is your God? And I mean that emphasis on your, because God is God. God is big regardless of how you see Him, but how you see Him determines who He is to you. So how big is your God? God doesn't change, but, but our perceptions of Him can. And so it's in this moment in Isaiah chapter 40 that, that God says to these people who have been through exile, to these people who have had their nation destroyed, who have come out the other side of exile, who have a reduced view of God, to them He says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. See, this passage is written to a people who were disappointed and despondent. There was a belief in the nation of Israel at the time that they would never be conquered because they had the temple. And if God was in the temple, then God would never let the temple be, be destroyed. Jeremiah is the prophet who comes and says, we've got empty religion and God is not going to protect it because it is rotting us from the inside. So God is gonna clean the slate and he's going to use Babylon to do it unless we turn. Long story short, the people do not listen to Jeremiah. And so we get lamentations to Jeremiah being like, man, it sucks that no one listened to me. This is a horrible situation. And so the people are trapped in in exile in Babylon for years years. And they're disappointed that God didn't do what they thought that He should. And then in the midst of that, they're in this Babylonian society in which it's all right to worship God as long as you realize that there are many gods and we can all worship whatever God we want. That Yahweh is not the one true God. He's one of many gods and He's welcome in the pantheon, but He is not the way, the truth, and the life. He's just a way. He's an option. And so in the midst of this disappointment and this watering down of who God is, the, the people start to think, man, maybe God's really not all that powerful. Or, or maybe, maybe He is powerful, but maybe He just doesn't care. Because how did we end up in this situation if God is powerful and if God is, is loving? And they haven't rejected God, but they've reduced Him, they've diminished Him. He's become a trinket, a, a cultural touch point. And so the author is reminding them of who God is, that He is powerful and that He loves them. See, I think we can reduce God, can't we? To to a sideshow, to an afterthought, to maybe a genie. But, but then when we need God, we turn to Him. We turn to that seat in our life, the throne of our heart, and we ask God to help. But we forget that we swap God out for something else somewhere along the way. A reduced God, an idol, an image of Him. And so we find that there's no one there to help us because God is not God in our lives. It reminds me, back in 2009, Louis Giglio, he shared a message about the bigness of God. And he shared this, this picture. This is a picture of the, the Milky Way galaxy. And it's, a, it's actually not one single picture. It's a composite image made up of thousands of pictures, hundreds of thousands of pictures of, of the galaxy to try and form. This is what we think our galaxy, the Milky Way, looks like. And, and if in this, if we... We can't count all the stars here, right? They're too numerous to count. But, but if you counted one star per second in the Milky Way, in our galaxy, it would take you 2,500 years to count every star. One star per second for 2,500 years. That's how many stars there are in our galaxy. There, there are more. Right, and then if you traveled at the speed of light, which is around about 300 million meters per second, not kilometers per hour, meters per second, it would take 100,000 years simply to travel from one side to the other. Right, this is big. It's big in that sort of way that breaks your mind a little bit. Like I can't fit it in my head, okay, but it's big. And so Isaiah reminds the people of Israel that God is a God who made this, who holds it in the heavens, that God has made stars that the people of Israel haven't even seen yet. I believe that we're blessed to be able to look even more closely than the original recipients of Isaiah. They could see the stars in the sky, but, but we can see images like this. These are four nebula coming up on the screen now. It's the, uh, the Eagle Nebula. It's, it's still just the Milky Way galaxy there, but now it's gonna be the nebula. No, that's, that's so nebulous that it's gone black, right? Well, I'll tell you about them. is the Eagle Nebula, the Omega Nebula, the Trifid Nebula, there we go, and the Lagoon Nebula, right? These are simply four of 20,000 nebulae in the Milky Way galaxy. I don't know about you, but when I look at that, when I look at what God has made, it wasn't even visible to the eyes of the original recipients of the, the letters of Isaiah. Isaiah's words come to mind for me again. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? See, I believe the more that we look, the more amazing God is revealed to be. God is big. And when we remember who God is, we remember the right way to come to Him. How can we look at this and not want to worship How can we look at this and not be amazed that the God who is big enough, powerful enough to hold the stars in the sky is also loving enough and kind enough to want to know you intimately? That He's not a distant, big and powerful God, but He is a close and present God. See, we're all worshiping something, but only God is deserving of our worship. Only God can handle the weight of Godhood. And it just so happens in the way that God is, that when we worship God, it's not only the right thing to do, it's also the best thing for us. That when we worship God, we gain perspective. And when we worship God, we realize that how we perceive God determines what we can receive from Him, that we come into the right way of being, that we align with the rest of the universe in singing praises to our Creator. Would you stand to your feet? In a moment, we're gonna worship together. The band's gonna lead us in a song, but I wanna remind you that worship is not a moment. Worship is not simply this, this moment when we sing songs together on a Sunday. This is a beautiful moment as we join together in corporate worship, but this needs to be a moment that informs and, and sustains and empowers a lifestyle of worship, that we would go from here and, and we would leave leading a life, life of worship. And so I wanna, I wanna ask you to think, man, how can I create a space this week to reflect on how big God is? Maybe for you, it means getting out and, and looking up at the night sky, reminding yourself that there are images like this up there that our eyes cannot behold and yet God made it. Maybe it looks like creating a space during your week in which you play some worship music and you just press in. Maybe it looks like climbing up somewhere high, getting above it all and looking out at the splendor of what God made. Maybe it looks like waking up early one morning and having a cup of coffee and opening the Bible and just marveling over the revealed character of God in Scripture. Maybe it simply looks like praying and waiting on God, creating some space of solitude and silence and listening. But whatever it is, would we be a people who are worshiping? And would we use this moment as we are led in corporate worship to be a starter for us, to ignite something of a spark, a flame in us that we would kindle, that we would keep a light, that we could take into the week, that we would be a people of worship. Because God is deserving, Because we need to gain the perspective and because what we can receive from God is determined on how we perceive Him. So let's perceive Him correctly. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.